Welcome to another episode of the Mirror League Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben Raman. On the podcast today, we have Jordan Burleson. Welcome, Jordan. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, stoked. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to acknowledge that I'm producing this podcast on the traditional lands of the Comox, Clayhus, Homoko, and Kalaman First Nations, who were one, one First Nation part of the Coast Salish community before uh, my uh, white settler ancestors came in and separated them into reserves. Uh, very grateful to be here. So Jordan, so got Jordan today. Jordan, I got Jordan on because well, a few reasons. I had an episode that just came out with uh, Valerie Clack, uh, the Lakota BCBA, which was super cool. And Valerie was telling me on the on the show about um, we were talking just about sort of a lack of sort of indigenous folk in the field. Um, and I think you could probably be in any field and talk about the lack of indigenous folk in that field. But we're just talking about, we were just talking about behavior analysis. Um, and uh, she was actually the first behavior analyst I knew that, uh, well, that's not true. Second behavior analyst I knew that kind of openly sort of, oh, marketing is the right word, but, you know, publicized oneself as being you know, an indigenous behavior analyst uh, from a specific, from a specific, you know, sort of group. Um, the other one was um, Jen Ashley, who's a colleague of mine up here. And she's, she, again, I don't think market's the right word, I don't know what the word is, but anyway, she goes, she, she, she calls herself a, a, a indigenous Métis behavior analyst. So there is one other that I knew of, but anyway, point being, we were talking about how, you know, there just wasn't a lot of folks and we're going to kind of get into this a bit today. Um, and, uh, I had asked her, you know, if she knew any, you know, if she knew any indigenous RBTs. Uh, so for folks that don't know our field, RBT is the registered behavior technician, essentially the kind of frontline staff entry level role into our field. Um, um, and, uh, I was surprised to hear that she was, uh, well, I guess not surprised, but, uh, that she was supervising one, but I guess I was surprised to hear that it was, uh, an RBT that would, again, not from Hawaii. Uh, but from from somewhere else, that was Jordan. And so uh, I asked uh, Valerie to see if Jordan would want to come on. And you were in, so that's super cool. So I'm looking forward to kind of getting into this. So um, maybe we could start with uh, uh, telling us a little bit about yourself, kind of kind of who you are, where you're from. Um, so I have been living in uh, Hawaii for probably about three years now. And I have been an RBT for about two years now. It wasn't the original field that I was planning on going into, but mm. I fell in love with it anyway. I originally was wanted to go into art therapy, so I got my bachelor's in family science with uh, associates of visual arts, so I could kind of play into both of those fields and kind of see like what I was interested in. Um. I kind of like stumbled upon the RBT world through my like roommates that I met when I was like first moved out because they were RBTs as well. And I was like, wow, that seems pretty interesting. So that was something that I really enjoyed in like joining into the field. Um, I've always kind of been interested in art and therapy. I don't really know mm. where that stems from. I think originally I wanted to be an artist and then I was like, that's not really something that I kind of can see myself doing forever. Mm. Um, I kind of was interested in doing art therapy, which is kind of how I got into the field. So I've been wanting to do that probably since high school when I started out with like a therapy internship with that. Um, my family is originally from upstate New York, but most of my um, life I've lived in Maryland, kind of like rural Maryland, everything like that. So I got all of my experiences kind of from there. But I think that was a really cool thing to be able to have like the opportunities in Maryland to get like internships, get nice done there and that's kind of how I got all of my interest in opportunities to kind of like align with itself and then now I'm just here <laughs> okay cool and what about sort of uh, uh so I know that uh you're uh, uh Seneca or part of the Seneca group can you tell me a little bit about that yeah so I'm officially in a role tribal member of the Tonawana Band of Seneca's um, it's like its own little thing that's not exactly the Seneca Nation, but I'm still part of the Band of Senecas. Um, I come from a little uh, reservation called the Tonawanda Indian Reservation in upstate mm. New York. 
it's really tiny, but it's my little home. Mm. <laughs> I like how uh, my family has been there since that they made the treaty to have those lands and uh, make that place their own. I do own a couple acres of land on the Tanawanda Indian Reservation. Mm. So I think it's kind of cool to like, have that little space that like, I can go back to and like and see like my family and like this is like our space it's like a really nice like little area for us to just like call home so you got a do you have, do you have a home on the land and, and whatnot it's not just sort of open land or do you got some yeah so the land is kind of like spread out i personally don't have uh like a home there my family mm. does so i've got right. cousins i've got grandparents and uncles that all have like land and homes and stuff like that I didn't grow up on the reservation. Uh, my mom did, but uh, mm. I actually grew up in New Jersey and Maryland. So I never was actually like living and going to school on the reservation. I just mm. like have land, have family there and everything like that. But I grew up off the reservation. Mm. And do you know why that is? Um, my mom decided to go to school. She went to Niagara University and mm. then she met my father and then we were able to kind of like move around just kind of do the work but I think one of the reasons why we didn't go back to the reservation to live there is cut. we kind of wanted to broaden the opportunities for like me and my brother and I think that without those uh, opportunities we wouldn't be where we are today. Um, I don't regret not living on the reservation, but I think it's kind of a weird balance of, uh, like kind of looking for your career, but also like trying to connect with your culture as well. So I feel like since I didn't have that experience, it's a little bit different connecting to my reservation as like, let's say my cousins that live there right mm. now. But I feel like if I wasn't able to have those opportunities, I wouldn't be where I am today, which is I'm fine with because I like where I am today, mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. very great. But it is kind of like that weird balance. And it's like you either are or you're not. And it's kind of a weird, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Kind of trying to like get back to your culture, I guess. It's like I didn't yeah. grow up with it. So like is, is um, do folks typically then not leave the reservation? Is that sort of what it's like? And, and, and so there's just not a lot of opportunities. Is that why? Or is it just because it's a small town? Or I feel like it's kind of different for reservations. I know that um, like people that are on the reservation, they've been there their whole life. I feel like yep. it's kind of uncommon to see people move back to the reservation mm -hmm. unless like something like happens like financially or health-wise, like you go back to take care of a family member. But I feel like if... Uh, you decide to stay there that's like your choice and if you decide to leave it's usually for like uh like a career decision mm. or an educational decision too because i feel like most people will either uh go to school and like leave the reservation and then that broadens their opportunities to like go different places get other jobs do other things mm. and uh it's kind of a delicate balance of choosing whether if you want your career or if you want to be more like family oriented. So you stay on the reservation, take care of your family, take care of your elders and everything like that. So it's kind of like a hard decision, almost hard to have both options and either mm. like want to like make a career, make a life for yourself or like, and like broaden like your horizons and go to different places or like yeah, you stay yeah, yeah. home, be more traditional, be with your family. And kind of like be like a family caregiver in that type of sense. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so a little bit more, just curious, like what what's a what's a sort of mean? I'm always kind of so for me, it's been sort of just learning about sort of some of the different tribes and kind of how they differ from each other. And you know, Valerie told us lots about Lakota and kind of the different things that are going on there. What sort of what's it sort of mean to be Seneca or part of the Seneca tribe? Do you, I anyway? think it's a really cool thing. Like as I get older, like I've always known I was a Seneca. I'm like, oh, I'm Native American. Like I'm Indian. Mm. Like all of these things, I've kind of always mm. like known that. But as I get older and starting to connect with others that are like like me, like Valerie, mm. Mm. it's very interesting to speak about our experiences and the way that our families were raised because me and Valerie have talked about like reservations and things like that mm. and it's always interesting to like hear from others that have like really big 
reservations, a lot of land, a lot of uh, history and practices that they still do. But my reservation is really, really tiny. Mm. So I guess growing up, I didn't see it as a reservation because I'm like, oh, this is just like our little home. It's like right. our little plot of land. We got our church and like our cemetery and like it's just the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, it's just the neighborhood, and that's what I remember going to whenever I like I was there. And it's also like a woodland area too, so it's like woodlands and like marsh. So it's like little plots of land that are like grasses for the houses, and then everything else is just like woods. And it's mm. very interesting to like go back and see that because I feel like a very big spiritual connection with those woods. Mm. Even though I don't go into the woods, but yeah. I like dream about them. I like think about them, and you get mm. there, and you're like you can just feel them there. And you're like, oh, this is like where I belong. Oh, so wow. It's like a very nice feeling. Which I don't think I could relate to another reservation if I like stepped foot on there because it's very different. Because mm. um, like you could probably much to the reservation in like 10, 15 minutes, you know, it's very, right. very tiny. So it kind of blows my mind to think that there's like other reservations out there that are like, like hundreds of acres. And you're like, oh my goodness, I can't even think about that. <laughs> it's just a very cool thing. Yeah, I think Valerie is kind of suggesting that hers might be one of the largest, or if yeah. not the largest. And so that must be, it, those must be interesting conversations to talk about. Because she's also, similarly, I think her family moved off reservation sort of early on to California and mm-hmm. kind of grew up there for similar reasons, I think. And so, yeah, that, that must be something. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very interesting comparison because I've a kid growing up, you're like, oh yeah, this is like what reservations look like. And then as you get older, you start reading books, hearing from other people, you're like, oh, everyone's got like bigger lands too. Like it's amazing how different tribes are mm-hmm. as you like get older, because everyone likes to uh put like a broad term on like the indigenous people, Native Americans, American Indians, right. whatever you would like to call them. But like it's very different. It's Every tribe is their own little, pretty much their own like little world. Mm. So it's kind of hard to compare different uh, tribes in that aspect. Yeah, yeah. What about language? Are, are, do you guys have your own sort of language or dialect or several? Yeah, or... As, as far as I know, uh, the official language is Seneca. I'm pretty sure we don't have any more native-born uh, speakers anymore. Oh, but wow. I yeah I'm sh- I think there is an effort to bring back the language uh as much as we can I remember growing up in church and you would be getting like your church pamphlets and they would have like the Seneca words on there mm. um you're just going to like your Easter banquet and you'd get the menu in English and in Seneca so you'd kind of mm. get that like both of those and I think that the schools there are teaching a Seneca class so they are making an effort to bring back the language it's just that nobody speaks it anymore. Mm. Uh, naturally, my grandmother, who is in her 90s, doesn't know much Seneca. Wow. So it's kind of one of those things that when you think about it, we were on the East Coast. We were one of those early uh, tribes to be colonized. So mm. we were kind of like very oh, okay. quickly taking the language away from us, mm. like, as far as my understanding. So it was very hard to bring that back. A lot of the children weren't either taught to the language or they were not allowed to speak the language at home or mm. they were sent to school and not allowed to speak the language. So that fear of not being able to speak the language, I think like really was instilled to like not carry on that language. Mm. And since it is like an oral tradition, yep. a lot of it was not written down. So it's kind of hard to know the words or like have a conversation because like we just don't have too much record of it at the moment Mm. so i'm not exactly sure what the efforts are to bring that back but i'm hoping it's something that's like in the words yeah super cool to like learn it like i can't just go on to rosetta stone right now and probably look up the language right Yeah, no, I never even thought of that sort of being on the East Coast and sort of being the first to sort of be, you know, essentially taken by the white man and 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 and, and erased. And so folks, so folks on the West Coast would have more opportunities to sort of maybe preserve language because it took longer for for us to get there. Yeah, and that's what I, I tend to think about a lot, too, when I was talking with Valerie about the differences in reservations. 
being on the East Coast, we did have an earlier uh, exposure to white colonies and being mm. assimilated into these different colonies and trying to be, uh, I guess, less Native, I guess, mm-hmm. is what they wanted yeah. for us. And I was actually doing research before. And as far as my understanding is that either you got to stay and be colonized, get sent to the schools, get sent to the language, become like like a proper person of society. Or I was reading, to my understanding, that some Seneca members went over to, I think it was Mississippi, Mm. to get their land over there to try to like assimilate with the other Native Americans so they Mm. could try to keep their culture. But when we got our treaty back for the state of New York, uh, I think it was 1838 Mm. when the Buffalo Creek Treaty, they were able to get their land back from the state. So that's how our reservations came to be. So I hope that was able to help. Oh no, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and so is that and I mean, I mean, I mean, I know you're still just sort of reconnecting with this stuff and learning yourself. And 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 this treaty stuff can get pretty technical yeah. and political yeah. and and uh, and I know you're not a, you know a subject matter expert per se, but do you know sort of you said the the treaty kind of got the land back. Did you get all the land back or did you get like like a portion of it, like because you know, I often hear about sort of treaties being just really. I, I think I saw I, think I saw sort of a, a meme. It was a meme the, a couple of days ago about treaties and how you know, you know, essentially they're just you know, uh, you know, they just give back what they want to give back and 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 keep yeah. the rest kind of thing and not and you're not really getting back what was yours. If you'd like to collect continuing education credits as a behavior analyst for this episode, go to www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop and enter the three secret words. The first secret word is canvas. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, if you think about it, the original land, I think at least for my specific tribe would be uh, all the way from like probably Tennessee all the way up to Maine and to Canada. Mm. A lot of uh, like my cousins live in Canada, but it's a different country, so it's technically a different treaty. Um, but we have like a big band of uh, in our nation, so it's like Oneida, Tuscarora, Onondaga, it's uh, Mohawk. So we have all of these uh, different tribes inside of our little nation, mm. and we only got like a couple like little pieces of the reservation because when you look at that big band of land, mm-hmm. a lot of that is like government land there's people like living there in their homes and mm-hmm. completely different than just actual reservation land and i guess when you're looking at our specific pieces it is a very small quantity of what we used to have and of course that we're not going to be able to say now it's like i want all of our land back because real people live there now there's things that are accustomed there's cities and right. everything is already established again i even even back in like 1838 those things were already established again so it would be mm. kind of impossible to be like oh we want the whole city of pittsburgh back <laughs> you know? right like, of course yeah you can't gotcha, really gotcha. Those things. so i feel like however they decided those lands they had to be some kind of agreement to it mm. otherwise like probably wouldn't have agreed to it i'm assuming yeah 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 you said it goes into canada would you where where into canada i'm curious because i'm 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 on that side of the border um my specific family from niagara okay right yeah yeah gotcha so kind of like that new york uh canada area i don't know how Uh, far north it goes exactly yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I've visited my cousins in Niagara a couple of times. And gotcha. Yeah, kind of like on the Canadian side, Niagara Falls, or yeah, yeah. I gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah, my my mom was born there, so I'm just curious oh, so cool. to find out more about kind of kind of that area because we go down there quite a bit. Um, uh, really neat. And then that's as far as you know, sort of. Valerie was telling me a little bit about sort of how you know her, her. I guess it was her kind of family as sort of descendants from of of Chief um, Red Cloud, I think she said, and um, kind of sort of, that was sort of 
kind of as far as sort of looking at the history of of, of Lakota people, like do you know kind of how one be, became Seneca? Do you know sort of what the sort of origins are at all? Do you know anything about that? I mean, I'm sure I could Google it, but I did. Yeah, I don't have the like actual original stories. I'm sure that's something that yeah. you could look up. Yeah, but as far as like our original stories, I mostly know like legends that are like about like the earth and like people mm. around us and every, everything about that yeah how we became to be i'm not exactly sure because of the way that uh the whole like nations is set up like i don't know why i am uh kind of on a band of seneca so i'm not mm. actually a full seneca or like exactly like the reasons like why we are the way we are mm, where we gotcha. are placed and things like that i think that probably got lost somewhere and the shuffle of things and like traditions being like flip-flopped and like converting to Christianity and all of these things right. kind of got like completely moved around. So I'm sure that somebody probably knows, someone probably yeah. agrees or disagrees. So yeah. It's yeah. probably all over the place. It's all in there knew, somewhere. But all I know is that we are where we are. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, good, good. Um, so what what was so you initially kind of wanted to get get in into kind of art therapy what was sort of the origin of all that um so i've always been super into creating things mm. as a kid i remember being in kindergarten writing what you want to be when you grow up and i wrote an artist <laughs> so i was like always very young age wanted to do that i love yep. to paint um i love to draw i like to paint mm. photography every once in a while so that was mm. kind of something in like elementary school middle school I was into and then in high school I did a lot of like art classes I think my mm. original goal was to be like a professional artist I wanted mm. to do portraits I wanted to do landscape wow. so I really concentrated that in high school and then my early years of college I was strictly doing just art because that's all I wanted to do mm. I wanted to go to art school and then I was like oh, I can't afford to go to an art school that's super mm. expensive and then I also couldn't rationalize a reason to uh become a professional painter I didn't have any like actual like set plans mm. for myself so I decided to look into different fields of art and uh, mm. maybe even gotcha. social work and psychology because I was yeah. also interested in that I was really good at those classes in college and then I found uh art therapy in high school Mm. As like an internship, just randomly out of the blue, my counselor cool. was like, "Here we have an art therapy internship." And I was like, "Wow, oh, awesome. I would love to do that." So I work um, a couple times a week with um, adults diagnosed with Alzheimer's and dementia. So I would like, work one on one with uh, my teacher that was at the like nursing care center, yep. and we'd do like group sessions, or I'd go to the resident uh, rooms one-on-one -on -one, so we do some stuff and it was a really beautiful experience it did make me incredibly sad so I figured that was mm. a field that I liked to be in but probably wouldn't mm. want to stay in mm. um because it was like kind of overwhelming in an aspect it was like yep. the thought that like you're not curing you're just helping as you can but it was really cool experience being able to help like one-on-one -on -one and also like help the families as well because they were like oh my goodness I haven't seen her react like this in a very long time mm. so that was a really cool experience and then from there i was like this is what i want to do yeah and then i did another internship in college with art therapy with adults with varying um uh health disorders so a lot of it could be like brain trauma they could be have parkinson's mm. uh they could have a couple other like uh like brain disorders as well that mm. were not disclosed to me but sure sure was, like help with that i love that but covid happened so i didn't get to finish that program mm. so my next goal was to go to uh a master's in art therapy but that's kind of like was a newer field mm. so it was kind of hard to find schools that did that and was like an expert in the field because it was yeah, really hard yeah. to find <clears throat> and then I found uh the APA field and I was like, okay, mm. I actually really like this a lot. So mm, that's mm. kind of where I'm gonna stick and maybe put some like art therapy into that if I can. But at the moment, focusing on ABA, maybe getting another master's in art therapy along the way, but I gotta see about that one. <laughs> so how'd you how'd you end up in Hawaii? 
So my boyfriend is actually in the military or he was okay. in the military and he was stationed out here, I think in 2019. Gotcha. And I graduated college in 2020 and then the plan was always to come visit at least. But yeah. then COVID happened. I was out of a job. I had a new degree. I didn't have anywhere to go. I was living at home. Mm-hmm. So once everything kind of like restrictions were cleared and everything was a little bit safer, I like packed up my things and I just booked a one plane ticket and I'm like, yeah. we'll just see how long I stay and I've stayed since. So wow. I think that okay. was a really cool experience and I felt like it was like the right move to make. So and so, I, and so how did you find ABA in Hawaii? Um, so when I first moved in with some of my roommates a couple of years ago, they yep. were already in the field. Oh, wow. And some of them were also like in school as well for that field. And yep. I was always interested in working with children. That was like one of my uh, field goals in college because mm-hmm. I was like looking at different fields of like to work in. Yeah. And uh, children with autism was one of those fields I was interested to like dig into a little bit. And when they told me that they worked in that, I was like, oh, of course I have to do that. Obviously, I have to get myself in there. And I quickly became an RBT and I quickly just became a full time uh, employee there. And I've loved it ever since. Yeah. So what was that like first experience like? Um, So it's an interesting one because I wasn't familiar with uh working with children with autism especially right. coming from working with adults with alzheimer's it's sure. a very like different flip-flop yeah, yeah and working with children was something that especially during covid it was like the afterwards of that mm-hmm. it was kind of like a little touchy uh touch and go because you're like oh how like involved can i be how can i not i don't really mm. know the procedures and it's a brand new world of uh, therapy that I've never encountered so learning mm. everything was a very like learn on the field type of thing like you could do your 40 hours of uh, training you can do all the research you can online but as soon as you get in there it's kind of like you got to like learn on the fly and I think at first I was incredibly nervous because mm. I didn't know anyone mm. like everyone still had masks on right I like didn't know how to like get myself into there but as soon as I like found that groove which I feel like was like maybe just like a couple weeks in I was like yes this is definitely what I want to do I like picked it up very fast was able to completely roll with it and I feel like I've just completely expanded my skills since then like if I could my first RBT self if she could look at me now she'd be like what that's crazy (laughs) like just after two years I started, I'm doing like social skills groups and I'm doing like one-on-ones and it's just a really, really great experience. Mm, nice, nice. So is it mostly like early intervention that you're doing or? Yeah, so I do work with uh, children anywhere from like two to eight is like our normal field. And then yep. we do like a couple of like social skills groups with um, children that are like kind of like middle school age so like 10 to like 15 is is kind of like that like other area so that's also a really cool skill to work into because that's completely different than working with like younger kids too yeah right that I love that variety and that difference in like my week so it's nice to be able to like play and like be silly and fun and like work on like behaviors for teachers with like the younger kids and then be able to like have like a full-blown conversation with like the 10, 11, 12 year olds, you're like, oh, this is so different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That... It's so nice to have that. And and were you were you working with Valerie right from the beginning or? Yeah, she was the BCABA when I first started. I didn't talk to her too much when I first started because COVID was weird. Yeah. My hours were weird. And yeah. we were all like either in like one little room by ourselves. Mm. And now like we're in like a big center with like everyone kind of in the area at one time. So it's easier to like talk with people, yeah, interact yeah. with people and everything like that. And I didn't actually find out that she was also indigenous until like maybe like a year after like working there right because it was just kind of like a weird time to be working with others mm-hmm. totally so like once like i found out i was like oh my goodness like i haven't really met anyone else that was also like indigenous too and it was kind of like a cool thing to have like a supervisor in the field to like ask questions and like look up to and like really get all of her experience and just absorb all of that too yeah, I mean, because I've talked to so many, uh, you know, 
black BCBAs and BC and Latina BCBAs and whatnot, and they talk about sort of how black BCBAs in particular, how rare it is to kind of have, um, um, you know, a situation where you've got someone else that looks like you kind of doing the same job, especially as a mentor, um, mm-hmm. as a supervisor and, and sort of, you know, the, the real, you know, uh, the, the, just the important, and not just actually in a lot of fields, it's school psych and psychology, all of them, they all, everyone talks about sort of, you know, it's, it's just, it's so much, it's such a different experience when you have someone look, that looks like you as your supervisor. Um, and so, you know, being indigenous in a field, I mean, as you know, is pretty rare. I mean, you guys probably fall under the, you know, 0.05% or whatever yeah. <laughs> demographic, the BACB really doesn't have a code for sort of counting counting up indigenous folks um you could always you guys all get lumped together in in sort of sort of this one percent other category um and so you know clearly there's not a lot of folks around that that are that that are doing this and so it's it just seems almost it just seems like you know a little bit of a spiritual kind of intervention here that you happen to be working in in a place where there happens to be you know, an indigenous BCBA as a supervisor, like what are the chances, eh? I know. I always say that like things fall like into my lap and I'm always thinking that like there's, the universe is creating opportunities for me and I'm never making the wrong decision. It just wasn't the decision that was meant for me. It's something that like I'm supposed to be here. When things click like that, it really like solidifies that like I'm supposed to be here I'm doing something that's like on the right track. And it's not like I went looking for a field that has someone that, that is like me. I've never really encountered anything like that. So mm-hmm. that I'm like, oh, I would really like to like work some, uh, with someone that is also indigenous. It'd be super cool to do that. I've never thought that. But once you meet someone, you're like, oh, this is so crazy. Like this, this just makes sense, you know? Yeah. And do you think you've never thought of it because it's just in your world would never be a possibility anyway? Like, did you not have that experience in the art therapy area or? I, uh, no, actually, it's never been a thought of me that I would be working with others that are also Indigenous because yeah. it's something that I feel like I've always been uh, like that, like lone wolf in that aspect. It's like, yeah. oh, it's just me pretty much. Or it's like, because I went to, uh Maryland schools that was predominantly white so it was mm. kind of something that uh that was just kind of the norm so everyone mm. is kind of their same thing and I'm very much white passing so it's like mm, I don't gotcha. really get those questions that it's like oh but like what are you I mean I get those questions because I look a little bit just a little bit different but mm. not enough for people to be like asking me questions and coming up to me and like asking me like what I am so I never was like I'm gonna ask if everyone to see mm. if they are indigenous or not so that was something that I found really exciting when she was like yeah I'm Lakota wow who would have thought <laughs> you know <laughs> I'm like I'm also Native American that's funny <laughs> that's amazing you talked about sort of being kind of white passing and um did you did you sort of I don't know what the term is but did did you sort of go with that or were you were you kind of were were did were you open about sort of your you know your indigene indigeneity as it were like in, in those days or were you just sort of more you know well I, I look white they're leaving me alone I just won't I, I won't go there I'll, I'll I'll save that for family yeah I, it's pretty much something that like we do stick to family I don't really broadcast myself as someone that is Native American mm. uh my at least me and my mom and my sister, my brother, we all have fair skin because mm. of the way that our uh, tribe is located. I don't exactly know why, but everyone in my sure. family does. They like look native, but they're also like fair. They're not as like that richer, darker, redder type of skin tone that you would see out west. Mm. So it's like just a little bit different. And I feel like that just a little bit of different as people like ask me like that question they start to get to know me a little bit mm. like I start talking and everything like that and they're like can I ask you a question are you Italian are you Hispanic and I'm like no, wow. American so I usually get those two first it's yep. kind of a like it's a rare thing to be asking someone if they are Native American it's kind of a mm. very 
rare thing, especially since I am, my, my dad is white. So my hair mm. is a little bit lighter. My skin is a little bit lighter. My eyes mm. are a little bit lighter. I don't have like the traditional dark hair, dark eyes. So it's kind mm. of something that I bring up to like my friend group once it just comes up, but it's not something I introduce myself as. It's like, hi, my name is Jordan Burleson. I'm an enrolled tribal member of the Seneca Band. Mm. Uh, so it's not something that I really broadcast, but once like I do it, I'm like, yeah, that's just who I am. And it's something that uh, we just like kind of like live our lives with, I guess. Like me, my mom, my brother, my sister grew up in like a white passing neighborhood and mm. county. So we just kind of live that life because that's just kind of the life that we live in instead of having to like try to accommodate for different things so we're just mm. kind of assimilated ourselves right into that yeah and, and i guess because of that would did did you find yourself having to deal with much sort of discrimination and whatnot i think it's not exactly the word of discrimination because i never felt worried about being bullied for who i am or mm. anything like that i've never encountered any bullying thankfully so that's kind of something that i'm blessed with but yeah. i think it was the idea of i didn't want to have to explain myself i didn't feel like i wanted the responsibility of answering questions that people had or having to uh, like explain things so that mm -hmm. was like a responsibility that i for a long time didn't want that i didn't mm -hmm. want to be the speaker of my tribe right of yes. all indigenous people in general so yes like, just because i'm the one native yes. person you know i'm not going to be your spokesperson i'm not right. going to be the person that is going to tell you everything about everything that's going on because i don't yeah, know. yeah 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 and there's a lot of pressure i think on sort of anyone from sort of a non-white background to somehow be the speaker for that entire group um, yeah. Um, um, or, you know, better yet, you know, when it comes to Indigenous folks, where they're not even, you know, an entire group, um, you know, yeah. sort of the, like speak, speak for the Lakota tribe and speak for the Chickasaw yeah. tribe and speak for the Navajo tribe, just because you're Indigenous and be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so what about, uh, I'm curious, uh, I know you kind of were exposed to all this in Hawaii and, and not not back home but did you did you have any sort of experience with um maybe outside of work like maybe family experience or lived experience um uh, or just sort of community experience around autism in 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 this in the Seneca community uh, personally on uh the Seneca side of my family I do not know of anyone with an, with an official autism diagnosis mm. I'm not sure if it's because it's doesn't run the family or yep. in my world or if it just isn't diagnosed mm. that's something that's uh I still think is a little bit of a taboo that as a society today we're trying to break through because I feel like in general autism is a field that is expanding with uh acceptance like at least in modern times mm -hmm. so I feel like that's still a step that uh the Native American community is also trying to make as well, mm. kind of break through traditions that we have assimilated ourselves to be, I guess, normal is kind right. of breaking again to try to get into getting formal diagnosis and then getting a, like uh, actual like therapy help and everything like that. Just some kind of support isn't there yet because I don't think that most Native American communities are ready to get those diagnoses and get those things worked out quite yet which is okay I feel like mm. once they're ready to that's absolutely fine but I personally don't know of anyone with an autism diagnosis that is Native American as well mm. so I'm thinking that it is kind of a stigma that they are trying to get over as well mm -hmm. but that's yeah experience. yeah well no, it makes me think about sort of and it's not surprising you know that that it's probably and it's probably the case for kind of any kind of diagnosis. Like it's not just yeah. an autism yeah. diagnosis. It's being diagnosed by, you know, essentially by generally by the white man. Um, yeah. you yeah. know, because, you know, essentially psychology, psychiatry, the whole thing, it's all 
it was all brought by the colonizers, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, and so, you know, it, it I, I imagine, you know, in some of the, in the early days, a lot of that language was used to, you know, to lock folks up. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there was, um, uh, was, was there, you know, was there any, um, um, in, in your area where there were, were there residential schools and that kind of thing and, and people in your community that had to go to those sorts of things that, you know, was that going on? Yeah, I do know of, of like, I think it's probably my great grandmother, mm. like getting sent to like at the like most recent time, yeah. uh, getting sent to school. Um, my favorite story is that she was sent to school. She's taken off the reservation and she decided that she did not like it. So she mm. decided to walk home on the railroad track and she was not found by the governor of the state. I wow. to get sent back to so awesome. escape that. It's my favorite story that my uncle tells me. So I think it's something mm. that's looked at as that's like most recent for us. Like they were still being taken off of schools. They were still being sent to uh, different places, yeah. whether they wanted to or not. Yeah. Uh, making the decision to go to places is different, but being asked to do those things is quite hard. So I mm-hmm. think that people uh even if they do have a diagnosis so they want help it's not shared it's not something that's broadcasted quite yet so it's something that i feel that specifically native american communities are like we can handle this ourselves and Mm. we can do this we don't need the outside help that you say you're going to give us but most likely not because that Mm. seems like a very uh common thing to happen it's like you're going to get help from the government but actually not so it's something that i feel like that trust is still trying to be built specifically with mental health support in general. Because so, mm. I feel like a lot of those communities do need support in some type of way for many different regions, but it's not offered or it's not followed through with. So right. Being in the autism community like that would be probably on the same aspect of that. Is mm. what I'm assuming. Mm. Mm. And there probably aren't a lot of indigenous providers of sort of mental health yeah. services yeah definitely i feel like it, they'd probably be more comfortable with someone that you feel like looks like yourself and knows about you instead of someone that doesn't know anything about you or your culture and then just kind of trying to assume your household and assume different techniques best for you but wouldn't work yeah for someone else yeah yeah um so you've been doing this for a couple of years, and so are, are you planning to stick with it and 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 take this further? What what's some of your kind of future goals in in the land of ABA and just in career career wise? Just applied for my master's uh, mm. application, so I'm hoping to start uh, in the springtime to start my master's, get a, my BCBA license. So I'm hoping that'll be finished within the next like, two years. I'm hoping to become a BCBA because I think that's something that I can see myself doing mm-hmm. and like expanding my career that way. I think that's something that I feel solid in. <laughs> my future. Awesome. Is that something you do in Hawaii or online or? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing it hopefully online just because uh, the University of Hawaii program doesn't offer that program anymore. So they're, right. they're redoing the program because uh, there was issues with it i'm thinking i'm mm. finishing like technical and staffing issues so yeah, yeah, the whole yeah. program. so i'm going to go to i'm looking at a couple colleges online that are uh decent they have a good history they have a good uh bca pass rate yes that's helpful like that so it's like i like those numbers i like to see the data and compare the data obviously yeah. good <laughs> so yeah, I'm like, yeah. that's good my step right on um and uh, and and your boyfriend's in the military, so is it possible you'll have to leave Hawaii then, or is he, is he going to be there for good now? He actually got out of the military oh. a year or something ago, so okay. we decided to stay here and just kind of yeah. make a life for ourselves. Because even if we did move back home, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what we'd be doing, but we kind of mm. made ourselves a little life here for right now. Nice. We probably won't stay here forever. But uh, we're hoping for the, like the next couple of years to kind of like grow as ourselves, grow with each other, grow in this beautiful land, and just like experience yeah. as most of, as much as we can for 
Hawaii ever as we can, you know? Well, what part of Hawaii are you? Are you living in on? Um, I live on Oahu. Oahu. And so that's, is that a, what's that mean? Uh, <laughs> so I know the, it's an island, but. <laughs> the island of uh, the uh, Hawaii Islands is, uh, they're different. I guess you would consider them counties as you yeah. went back in uh, the mainland. Yeah. Uh, I live on the island of Oahu, which is where the state capital of Honolulu is. Oh, okay. So it's kind of the main island that most people congregate to, go on vacation to, and everything. Gotcha. Like that. Most popular, popular, densely populated island. So. And are you? The second secret word is Tonawanda. T O N O W A N D A. In the big city, or are you? No, I live about 25 minutes north of uh, Honolulu. I live in mm. a little area called Kailua, which is mm. like the windward side. Uh, it's a little bit slower paced, which I like. I'm not a big nice. city girl, uh, but there's still like a lot to do. There's still a lot of people, so I don't feel like completely like locked in. But mm. Roads go everywhere, so it's pretty easy to go anywhere I want to, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm curious, are, are you able to sort of kind of a two-part question or, or an and or question like obviously you've connected with valerie like are, are there other other sort of indigenous folks on the island um or or are you more connecting with sort of i mean not that indigenous people have to connect with indigenous people that's not what mm -hmm. i mean but but are you are you are you well first off are you and if not are you are you kind of connecting i talked with like naomi to on the podcast a while back and and uh, she's the one that actually her and sarah sacco are the ones that introduced me to valerie um and they talk a lot about they're they're both they're both native hawaiian um and so they talk a lot about sort of indigenous hawaii and kind of you know culture-based education in hawaii and that sort of thing are you exposed to any of that or kind of involved in any of that sort of side of things um i'm not i don't I didn't come here to like specifically look for others of the indigenous. Right. Uh, I stumbled upon people, which is super great. I used to work at a kayak shop and there was mm. a bunch of native uh, Hawaiians that worked there. Yeah. So it was really cool to like have that aspect come in. So I get to share mine. We get to like bounce off each other a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I try to uh, experience like, uh, like I've been to powwows here, which is really exciting. Mm, okay. I like yeah. to go to, uh, like uh little and, would that, and so would that have been a hawaiian like powwow or would that is that something that another indigenous group would no, have that put was on a first nations powwow so that was okay. a very cool thing to go oh to. wow it's because that was something that like i missed being here that, or i expected i would miss because i was yeah. like man i'm not gonna be able to go and then they were like oh there's gonna be one here and i was like what? oh right on so it was really exciting to go to one of those uh oh, powwows held here yeah uh because it's been a while since i've been to one since covid honestly yeah. so being able to like reconnect with staff even though i didn't like mm. talk to anyone or meet anyone i just wanted to, wanted to be there to experience it yeah it was really nice to do that i like to uh try to go to as many organizations and events as possible that have to mm. do with uh like the local Hawaiians like celebrations yeah. or their like holidays or anything like nice. that if someone's doing like local storytelling i love going to that or just anything mm. that is of that aspect i try to like immerse myself into it not that i'm trying to like dig myself into that culture but i would love sure. to just, like learn as much as i can yeah. um there's still a lot to learn mm. um so i'm hoping to learn more but i'm not like actively like seeking things out if i see yep. it i'm like absolutely i want to do that yeah so that's kind of where i am with the island at the moment yeah i mean it sounds like you're a very you know kind of go with the flow kind of person and yeah. whatever falls in your lap is meant to be and i think that's awesome it sounds like that's working for you yeah that's something that i really do like i like to try to have a goal and then if that doesn't work out it's obviously for a reason yeah so like anything that falls kind of in its place i think it's a very good way of being like this is where i am and this is where i'm supposed to be so that's yeah, what yeah, i really yeah. like about it have you as an rbt or have you had an opportunity or or maybe not as an rbt uh, to to still pursue the art side of things 
Uh, I like to paint whenever I can. Yep. So uh, it's been a while since I painted, but I actually painted yesterday a little bit just to have creative juices flowing every once in a while. Yeah. Everyone, most artists know that you get like art blogs, writer's blogs, everything like that. Just get out of one. So like once I'm like in a role, I start doing that, but it's mostly like portraits or mm. landscapes and stuff like that. But that's something I tend to draw more towards nature with. So mm. have you brought that. any of the art sort of skills to your sort of therapy? It's a little bit hard working with children because mm. <laughs> it's very hard to keep their attention for a yeah. little bit. I did do a mural painting in the center. Mm. Uh, on the walls there for work and all the kids love looking at the giant octopus so I think that's a really great thing when they're like wow and it's yeah. feels really good that they like that so uh kind of making like an art program is kind of hard to do especially like focusing on behavioral skills mm. and like getting like my work done but also like art therapy is kind of like a hard balance to try to do um, so I haven't done too much art therapy in the field, but anytime that we, I can do art, I will do art with them. So. Have you have you heard of uh, Canvas ABA? I have not. No. So I had a guest on a while back, Nat, uh, Natasha Bouchelon. I think is, is her last name. I could be pronouncing that wrong. Um, uh, she's a BCBA and an artist, professional artist. So she does a lot of uh, gallery stuff and sells stuff and. I think for a while was was just was that was sort of her sole sort of thing, uh, but she she I don't know if she's doing a PhD or not, but she created this program <laughs> called Canvas ABA, which is Thank an art you. art based ABA curriculum. That's so um, cool. Yeah, yeah, something to check out. So yeah, absolutely. Um, down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, there there I have an episode, and if you just look up Canvas ABA, you can find it. She's on Instagram and. Uh, uh, cause yeah, cause you, I'm curious, it's interesting. Were you exposed at all to sort of, uh, you know, developmental disabilities or whatnot when you were doing some of the arts therapy internships or was it just all adults with uh, either mental illness or Alzheimer's? Yeah, it was, uh, mostly just, uh, adults. Uh, I didn't work too much with, uh, other disabilities. I mean, I'm yeah. sure that some of the adults I did work with did have, uh, autism, but working with, uh like HIPAA compliances I didn't know much about that so sure of course yeah the adults I did work with were uh just on varying like everyone was completely different they were there for many yeah. different reasons so it was very interesting to see that but also like use that experience very little experience I had for COVID to yeah. working with where I am now so yeah yeah cool right on all right so future goals are BCBA what else? Anything else? What are other big, big dreams in life? You're, what, you're 25, think, right? So yeah, still, 25. You got a bit to go. So just hoping to like really like get my degree and then get like settled, have a family, just like live like a good life. I think mm. it's my goal. It's hard to, uh, I guess it's kind of like a small goal to have, but it's like, I just really want to be like comfortable. I want to be happy. I want my family to be happy. I want to get opportunities for my children as well. Nice. So I would like to like learn more about like my history, my culture, teach them that as well. Mm. Since it is, uh, we are like a dwindling population and like my children will probably be one of like the last of that. So mm. I'm hoping that I can learn as much as I can so I can give them that uh, experience as well. So Sorry, tell me a little bit about that. What do you mean your dwindling population? What's going on there? I feel like uh, the Native American community is such a small population. And mm. every year, it seems like there is a smaller population of it. It's not something that's growing, mm. I would per se. Um, mm. And also when you talk about like like the blood ratio and stuff like that, where it's like, how Native American are you based on like your blood uh oh this is that blood quantum stuff yeah or, all of that thing so if when I'm referencing that that's kind of what i'm referencing to mm. uh because to be uh, like an act an enrolled tribal member most reservations and most tribals do uh like the blood quantum and things like that so they do mm. so uh i feel like the ratio is on that exactly i feel like the way that the land can be passed based on that is a little mm. bit different. I feel like my children will probably be 
some of like the last on that ratio as far as my understanding of that is uh to be able to like pass on land and things like that like family land i guess oh wow so it's i feel like it's a heavy thing to think about but it's something i don't think about too often sort of uh it also seems kind of like a outdated way of sort of thinking of things like i mean it sounds like you know, I mean, from the little I've read about sort of blood quantum, and 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 as far as I can tell, most folks find that to be a, a fairly offensive sort of yeah. term and and measurement. Yeah. Um. Uh. You know, but kind of what 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 so kind of what I hear you saying is is just sort of as more as your as your family and Seneca folk and just indigenous folks sort of continue to sort of create generations it's just going to always get less and less just naturally yeah, yeah. based on sort of the way you know i don't know genetic pools or whatever the term is you know i don't, I don't know much about it either and so you know and that sort of tells me that at some point there's just going to be you know nobody yeah, if, they, if, been, if yeah. they keep that as the standard but there's there's still going to be lots of people they just need to change the standard it sounds like yeah that's always been like third secret word is valerie like my fear and understanding of that as well so it's not exactly like a burden to think of but it's something yeah. that it's like i don't really have any control over yeah, yeah, like yeah. i you love who you love and you have children with who you have children with it's not something you can really control yeah. but i think that when traditional values they try to keep as much as possible because there are people out there that do try to take some kind of tribal claims that aren't true and I feel like those are some of the ways that they can keep those in check so it's uh something that they can discourage people from being like oh I'm part of what's in such tribe when they're actually not to try to get some kind of recognition mm, or some kind of fame or yes. monetary value or something like that that's happened politically it's happened with like education and things like that so I feel like to a degree, it is helpful, but it's also kind of making our population seem smaller. In yeah, a way. yeah, we're having a lot of. There's been a lot in the news lately around sort of the the pretendian movement. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, and as and and some rather well known folks that mm -hmm. you know who have you know for years sort of said they were indigenous are now. Yeah. It's being suggested that maybe maybe they aren't. Um, yeah, I um, think that's kind of the reason for it. So it's not something yeah. that like I think is the best way to do it, but it's something that is at least to some degree protection for those who are. Yeah, yeah. And and do you think? And I mean, you don't even have kids yet, but do you think you'll want to try to sort of encourage and and, and sort of have your kids be in the culture and in, 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 you know when, when that when that does happen would, is that sort of yeah, yeah. i would love to because uh i mean i probably would not move back to the reservation because sure. i don't see myself there that wasn't where i grew up i would yeah. love for them yeah. to grow up around family uh yeah. very much but yeah. i do think that's something i do want them to like learn i want them to learn like the original stories of how the earth was made how like nature yeah. like does its thing and all of these other little stories that I grew up with, I would love yeah. to share that with them, but I would also love for them to make their own path in the way that they see it fit, you know? Yeah. yeah, super cool. Um, Just to kind of finish off a bit here, just wondering about, um, we talked about there just not being many Indigenous folks in the field. And, and why, why do you think that is? Um, I think it might be due to, again, it's different for every reservation, every tribe, sure. but uh, the stigma of education is very big. I feel like in a lot of tribes, you kind of see that across the board, where it's either you do go to school or school is either encouraged or not, because traditional family values do take a big part of uh, the life. Right. So I feel like you can either decide one or the other. It's kind of hard to have both, mm. or because it's hard to get access to things like that on reservations. 
ICU. So you would have to like move off the reservation. You'd have to go to school. You'd have to mm. go to the center to do all those things. And like those things aren't very apparent on reservations. So it's like at the moment, I feel like it's a very um, pick or choose at the moment. So mm. I think that's why you don't see too many uh, indigenous people like in fields like I am. Mm. assuming or mm. it's something that uh is hard to achieve hard mm. to uh find an opportunity to as well like mm. and i grew off the reservation um and found the opportunities because of the way that i did live and the opportunities that i was able to connect with so i just so happened to be like native american in that kind of sense mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. the way that like i grew up so mm. Yeah. Do you think, and because I've heard this sort of from a lot of the black guests that I've had on when they're sort of talking about trying to help, you know, young black kids, um, you know, find careers and, you know, sort of um, have opportunities that the RBT, being an RBT is a great sort of entry level, you know, way to sort of get into a field because it doesn't require you have, you know, like, a college degree or anything like that you just really mm -hmm. have to be over 19 or whatever the age is in the states and um um and uh and then take a 40-hour course so um do you think you know there, there's some possibilities there yeah i think so i feel like it's also not like a very advertised field because mm. i went to school i got my i was interested in social work i was interested in therapy i got my family therapy degree Right. I did not know about ABA until I met someone that was in the field. Mm. So I was like, where has this been the last four years? Yes. School? And I think that's because ABA has got like a weird, long history that uh, modern day is completely being like redone, being like mm -hmm. banned for its own like thing. And I feel like it's in a much better place than it used to be. But I still yeah. feel like that old history stigma does carry a heavy weight for yeah. ABA and it, that could also be something that could be uh off-putting to many people sure once you start looking into it you're like mm, absolutely not so yeah so when you so what was that was that like that for you like when you first looked into things because you're you're in because there's a lot of folks kind of in in your age category kind of the sort of the 20 to 34 group that are kind of getting into the field. I don't have data on it, but it's just from hearing the stories. There seems to be a lot of folks getting into the field and then leaving the field now, um, you know, after not being very long because of a lot of the, you know, concerns folks have. Yeah. So I think when you, when I first started, I looked up what ABA therapy was. And when you yep. have to look it up, it kind of does give you the history. It does mm. give you uh, the practices in a very generalized term. And you start to look at that, you're like, Oh, that's kind of interesting, but uh, there were also things in there that I was very interested to learn more about. So mm. I did talk to my roommates about that, and they were mm. like, "The place that we are is a very great place." So I was like, "Might as well." I'm open to everything, so mm. it, you never know; it doesn't work out until you try it. Mm -hmm. And I am thankful to be at a very beautiful place with mm. practices that I think, to me, line up with my values um it's very respectable there's mm. a lot of uh ways that we keep like the children children and mm. keeping like the path of aba separate from what we're currently doing and i see such improvement in such a positive manner that i feel like we are doing a great job on that aspect because mm. there are some things that we don't do we take pride in being able to do as we mm. do it um, mm. in very broad terms because i'm not saying that like anyone that's doing these certain practices are wrong for doing it sure. but personally i feel like what the way that we are running things is a very beautiful way to do it you're not you're, you're not like, seeing what you've read online so far yeah yeah like i never get like the ick when i'm working you know yeah, like, if something yeah. doesn't feel right let me bring it up or something like that or i've never had the feeling of oh i don't like the way that this is practiced so, so what, what's the what's the name of this place you're working at? Tell me a little bit about it. Um, I work at a place called Windward Synergy Center. It is a small, uh, locally owned business. My mm. boss owns the place. She's a very wonderful woman. Mm. And uh, we work with uh, uh, local Hawaiians and also uh, military children as well. So anyone mm. in the community is 
welcome to our center. It is uh, a very great place to work on like one-to-one behaviors, but also working on like social skills aspects, which is a great thing as well, especially as kids start to develop and they get older, they do need those skills to be able to handle like group practices, being able to like be in uh, a classroom with like 20 other children instead of just being like in a one-to-one, like one teacher, one student, they should be able to understand and figure out the ways to ask for help or Mm -hmm. when they know Mm -hmm. that they need some time. That's kind of my favorite thing to work on is having children use their voice to say what they need, which is really great to see like children really expand on that Mm. fantastic to see it and 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 have you worked with any indigenous hawaiian kids we uh do have a couple of them it's very again with kippa rules it's uh you don't actually know where or when Mm. or what their family is gotcha you don't get a lot of details and i can't exactly share what all those details of course yeah like you obviously know the way that their family's brought up and like yeah. the way that they certain practices are. So you kind of work those into their therapy as well. So you're like, yeah, yeah. it's easier for them to translate that therapy at home too. Mm. So if you make that generalization, you kind of just make those little tweaks for children yeah, that yeah, need yeah. that as well. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm impressed with your, uh, your knowledge of the HIPAA rules and the, uh... <laughs> Uh, I, I've been able to tell the entire podcast you've you've avoided talking about certain things and <laughs> and uh, and it sounds like they they do a good job of not telling you the things you don't need to know. Yeah, yeah. yeah still I feel that. like dignity is a very big thing that I like to focus on um, mm. with my children in general because it's like I like to put myself in that position. Like, would I want someone talking about me? Would I want someone talking mm. about what I go through? What I have to do? What my family does? Sure. Um, that's why I kind of keep things very generalized because it's like I yep. don't have permission from my family to share specific aspects yep. about our history and things like Absolutely. that. So I'm going to keep it very generalized and things like that because if my family's listening, I don't want them to feel offended no. or called out on. So um, yeah. that's something that yeah. I also looked at with my children as well. Yeah, so yeah. at work, not my actual Yeah, yeah. Well, especially <laughs> working for a small company. I mean, I, I think, uh, I, I think it's very easy for you to say just one small thing and anyone listening will right away know what family or what kid you're talking about probably. Yeah. And I do love uh, our small little company because we can do things the way that we want to do them that mm. feel right. And I really enjoy uh, the place that I work at. I recommend to anyone that's wanting to join the field to find something that's like the place I work. That's like mm. something that you feel comfortable walking in you can trust your coworkers. you can mm. trust your supervisors to like understand your needs just by like looking at them really fast or understanding or in- anticipating the needs of your uh clients so mm. you're able to like really work with them really in a great way yeah sounds like a great place to work it's awesome yeah it definitely is yeah cool cool Right on. Wow. Really, really cool. Uh, really cool, Jordan. Really neat to hear kind of your story and hear where you came from and and all this, all the cool stuff that's going on. It sounds like you're, you're living your best life. Yeah. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to share. I haven't really talked about my life like this pretty much. Yeah. So it's very wow. cool to have that experience and opportunity. Well, I'm humbled and honored that you're willing <laughs> to share it with me. So thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. All right.